So welcome. Um, you know, sometimes um, Philadelphia is referred to as America's garden capital. And I'll share with you uh, this little passport book that I have that lists over 36 formal gardens to visit in and around Philadelphia, 10 of them in the city of Philadelphia. Um, just a few little background facts like the Philadelphia Flower Show um, grossed $11 million in 2019 and drew over a quarter of a million visitors. And there are now over 400 community gardens scattered in Philadelphia neighborhoods. But today there is kind of an explosion of gardens, food producers, job creators, and entrepreneurs who were connected to land in and around Philadelphia. Um, I'll just share with you is that as a community organizer in 1972, I was involved in a project called Community Technology where we had young black men and women who were fish farmers. Uh, everyone laughed at us and uh, rolled their eyes. But today on the Philadelphia Urban Farm Network, which is a Google group um, internet that has listed multiple jobs that are available today and tomorrow, um, there was a job, including one for a fish farm. So in the last three weeks, we've seen 35 jobs um, listed on just this site, paying at least $15 an hour and in over 20 locations. And of course, most of them were in Philadelphia or the near suburbs. Um, there's an interesting sample of job titles, um, crew chief, farm manager, farm stand manager, financial manager, flower apprentice. Um, some of the jobs are seasonal, but I wanted to share with you one in particular job description where for a starting salary of 17 to $20 an hour, commensurate with your experience, you get benefits which include paid time off, company holidays, group health plan, 401k retirement plan, annual bonus, and the opportunity for advancement within an innovative landscape design build firm called Refugia. Um, that's in Bryn Mawr. There are all kinds of jobs. So what we're gonna talk about today is that there's something happening here where Gardens and farming, urban farming, appears to be a growing, um, a growing part of the economy. Um, we're creating jobs and skill training. There are a bunch of technological advances, and there seems to be a lot of business opportunities in local food production and built, um, as I like to say, on a usable path. So. I welcome to this conversation today students, inventors, investors, and visionaries who are coming together to build what I think could be a strong, inclusive, and equitable ecosystem, but based on small business ventures. And so we're talking about food producers, gardeners, and farmers who are creating jobs, addressing food, uh, and wellness. And this is a Philadelphia garden adventure, as I like to say. Um, I've been a community organizer for 40 years and I've worked in economic and affordable housing development. Um, I host a podcast, but today's events are built on a past and our panel that we have today that we're gonna hear from, um, it's a pretty exciting one. And first up is Blaine Bonham, who is, um, I love it. I think, I think he, uh, he called himself, I'm trying to remember, a cultural visionary or a cultural, cultural witness. witness. Thank I you. Witness. Eyewitness to cultural everything. <laughs> uh, welcome, Blaine. Thank you. So welcome. tell us, tell us a, a quick moment about what we need to know about you before we launch into um, this conversation with three other folks as well. Sure. Um, my association with all of this is through the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. 
Um, I worked there for 36 years and started the Philadelphia Green Program, which involves uh, community gardens and parks and planting trees and led to workforce development and vacant lot cleaning. And uh, it, I'm the luckiest person in the world to have had that job and uh, to have uh, realized the relationship that can develop between people and the land and people and other people. And I just have to add that um, that has formed the basis, that work formed the basis for yeah. what's now over 400 yeah. uh, community gardens. Uh, we're gonna talk a little <coughs> bit about some of those gardens being under some serious threat, uh, including uh, we just heard about a sheriff sale of several thousand parcels that could take place starting tomorrow. Um, but let's move on because we have some other folks who have uh, taken up this mantle and <coughs> approaching it in a very different way. Um, Ashley Grip is a PhD candidate in the School of Public Health at Harvard, but she grew up in Philly and she grew up, I think, loving the land and gardens in a kind of spiritual way. So welcome, Ashley, and unmute yourself so we can hear more about you. Hi, Marie. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. Um, I Yeah, so I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, and through my journey, I ended up going back to grad school and um, now currently finishing up my dissertation and PhD at Harvard in the Environmental Health Department. And my research um, on, in, on the academic side really looks at the impacts of urban agriculture on mental health, on spirituality, and on collective agency. Um, and then, you know, in the advocacy world, I'm also doing this work around developing the urban agriculture plan for the city. Um, and we're trying to do so in a way that really holds true to the values that community gardeners um, have held on to since as long as they've been gardening. Um, we're trying to do a plan that's rooted in history, that's rooted in culture, sustainability, um, climate justice, as well as a strong focus on racial and economic justice. Um, and then, you know, in my activism work, that's really where I think the the spiritual, spiritually rootedness really um, kind of comes to the forefront. And I, I started um, an organization called Land Based Johns um, that really is centered on helping folks in Philly, particularly Black women, um, to connect to the land, to reconnect to the land, to reclaim the relationship that has always been ours. Um, and we do that through these workshops on um, safety and self-defense, carpentry, um, gardening and agriculture. And we kind of wrap it up with a, a land-based living experience where folks are getting to really be on the land, um, practice those outdoor skills, learn about fire, learn about um, gardening, put it all together and do so in a way that's rooted in like an earth-based spiritual practice. So that's well, a little gonna, bit about me. Yeah, we're going to hear more about your work, particularly the research that you're doing. But I think this is a nice, um, a nice way to hear from um, Kylan Mettler, who is the owner of a 15-year-old um, garden arts business. And I say arts because that's a part of your company's name, Kylan Arts LLC, which I understand um, Kylan fill us in a little bit, started out of the back of a station wagon. Yeah, we, uh, we started very small and uh, very humble. And um, we're still relatively small, but there's uh, 11 to 12 of us each season now. And um, we do residential gardening with a, a flair for art and um, artistic looking at the outside world and um we've we've managed to grow a pretty large uh client base and really focus on trying to have a workspace that's friendly to lgbtqia folks and people of color and women and also straight white men we love them too we love them all but we want to have a, a landscape business that's that's open to everybody so I first learned about Kylin's business because she was advertising for um, 
new staff and had jobs on the uh, Urban Farm Network um, internet site. And that allows me to move over to um, an absolutely amazing man named Greg Thompson, who in fact is on the job side. Um, although you have a garden and you are in and out of gardens every day, um, with the being the manager of something called the Same Day Work and Pay Program. And you manage that part in Southwest Philadelphia. And how does this work? Hello, everybody. Um, the Same Day Work Pay Program is a program that is designed to, uh, you know, put money in people's pockets the same day. It's an anti-litter campaign that was put together by our city council president, President Daryl Clark and other city council members. Um, the goal was to use the same day work and pay uh, to reduce the level of litter in our communities and to give uh, young men and women a opportunity to invest in their community by cleaning their community up. There's all kinds of studies that show that if we get trash, if we plant trees, if we plant grass, if we remove blight, that um, you know, the level of violence is really dramatically reduced. So we are uh, in Southwest Philadelphia where the EPA has listed Southwest Philadelphia to have one of the poorest air qualities in the city of Philadelphia. So planting trees and creating those filters um, to deal with the breathing issues and asthma is vitally important. And then the other piece of same day working pay is to also educate the young men and women who are working in the program. Not only are they going out through the communities and they're picking up trash and they're collecting trash and they're gathering it and getting rid of it, but we also have three in-house sessions where they are paid $100 a day to actually sit in sessions and understand the magnitude of what they're doing. Not just the fact that they're picking up trash, but they are contributing to the reduction of violence in the community. And they're also showing respect for the community, respect for themselves, and also changing the quality of life in the community. Um, one of the things that I do, I'm the project manager for a program, a, non, uh, a uh, nonprofit called the Institute for the Development of African-American Youth. And it is a program that works with adjudicated youth in the criminal justice system. Currently, we have 56 young men who are on house arrest that we see at our offices downtown. And um, those young men, uh, have been arrested and convicted because they've had gun crimes. Now, those gun crimes that they've had, they haven't committed murder or they haven't shot anyone, but they were caught with illegal guns. Um, they either had the gun in their locker at school, under the seat of the car, uh, walking down the street with a gun on their person, and the police have arrested them. They go through the juvenile court system, but they are not put in placement. They are placed under house arrest with the monitor on the ankle. And I wanna be very clear about this because it is important to be clear. Every one of the guns that these young people had was loaded, so that's a deadly weapon. And they, these young people range from the age of 13 to 18 years old, and they're mostly African-American males. Well, we are working with them in our program. The name of that program is called Don't Fall Down in the Hood. And that program has been in existence for 20 years and we have run thousands of young men through that program. But those are also some of the young men that we target to be in the same day working pro pro uh, program. Because now we're trying to show them that there is a future, that there is a bigger world than carrying guns, that they can not only get a job with the same day working pay program, but we also have a landscaping program where they can work four and five days a week and making a decent living. So, so Greg, uh, do you have some of these young men who are willing to apply for all these jobs? Yeah. Um, you think they're ready? Yes, some of the young so men are. So we've kind of come full circle because 
if we jump back to Blaine, and I don't want to jump around too much, but one of the things that Philadelphia Green did, Blaine, very early on was to work with uh, formerly incarcerated men, right? You're, you're muted. The first uh, prison garden uh, we put together in 1976, and we worked with the um, uh, we worked with the prison. They had a dilapidated greenhouse, so that we persuaded the prison to um, refurbish that greenhouse and started a program with the the uh, the uh, prisoners there to grow seedlings to go out to community gardens, and that's really where it started. Then administrations changed and this, the, uh, the prison program, the prison system dropped the program. And it wasn't until the probably early 90s that it was, uh, we, we worked with them to start it up again. So that, that's the history of that. I, I wanna circle back to one point that you made earlier, uh, Marie, about what what was what is it about Philadelphia that made it so fertile for this? And I think there's there's two th th reasons that I know from our perspective. Uh, first of all, the horticultural society before community gardening came along was really a more elitist white suburban organization that practiced the art of horticulture, and we had a dynamic leader, uh, uh, Ernesta Ballard who got the first Pew Grant to start, she had this idea of community gardens. And the first year I was hired, we had the job of starting 35 community gardens, which was That was insane. 1974, right? That was 1974. 74. What I learned over the next couple of years is the reason why it was so successful is that Philadelphia has the moniker of being the northernmost Southern city. And uh, Dr. Elijah Anderson uh, at, U, uh, at Penn uh, said that it, it, it was the point of stopping of, of Northern migration where, where uh, black families from the South stopped in Philadelphia. So we developed these programs with all these very strong women, black women who were leading their neighborhoods and trying to pull together what was fraying on all the edges. And that was the strength of it. Uh, over the period of time, we developed eight green country towns. They were all led by women. They all got to know each other. And it became the kernel for what we developed as a relationship with community development organizations when they were trying to rebuild their neighborhoods. We would team up with them through the Office of Housing and Community Development and Pew Charitable Trust to make greening as part of new housing and new residents. Which kind of reinforces exactly what you were talking about, Greg. Um, and, and I know that folks do wanna hear from you a little bit more about um, how all of these pieces come together. Um, you've taken young men who um, were certainly on their way seemingly to some kind of violent behavior with loaded weapons. Um, and they are now working in their communities in gardens and um, hopefully will not have to end up in prison. But I guess that's working. Do you, do you I mean, what is that like? Where, how do you know somebody's gonna, gonna be able to, to make this transition? Well, the difference for us is that we are already established programs that advocate for the most disadvantaged in our community. When you couple that with being a contractor, that means that we have the time, the skill set, the patience, and the know how to work with disadvantaged youth, understanding disadvantaged young Black men, period, not just youth but men in their 20s and 30s and 40s. We have the time and the skill set to help them through, the, through those everyday living challenging situations. There are many contractors across the city of Philadelphia that provides landscaping, that has contracts with PHS. And those contractors do very good work in the city of Philadelphia. But most of them are about a product and producing meaning 
They have 45 lots to do. It has to be done on these days and they have to keep pace. But when you have challenges with young men who have problems getting to work, who have problems having food to eat, who have problems with understanding how to take instruction without taking it personal, those young men, because they're with us, are given second and third and fourth chances and they finally get it. They finally understand that we're here to support them. So the reason why this works for, for my group is because all of my staff are you know, people who advocate for these young people and we help them through the process. I mean, this is more than just a job. This is mentorship that's going along with employment. And that's why they're so successful. And we have success stories. There's a young man who was featured in the Grow magazine. His name is Andre Carson. Mm -hmm. And Andre Carson had a very serious situation in his past was a homicide. And he had served over 10 years in jail. And he uh, lost his job because uh, the company sold to another company and they had to do all of their uh, criminal record. So he came to work with me and he said, I, I really need a job. My life is falling apart. And I said, you gotta come and work with me. He came to work, he became our crew leader. He inspired all of the young men who was in the program. He said, you gotta, we gotta keep coming. We gotta keep doing this. And then he applied for SEPTA and he was having problems with getting a job in SEPTA. And we wrote all kinds of letters and we contacted the councilman and we contacted Senator Williams and we applied just gentle pressure to the powers to be at SEPTA and he was hired. And not only is he hired, now this young man is getting so many hours and they're looking at him to be uh, in management already. So, hmm. you know, the, the mistakes of your past no. do not have to dictate your future. Right. And I, I'm absolutely tied into the notion that urban farming is about more than just growing food. It's also a pathway to healing. Um, Kylin, I'm just wondering in your, in your business, have you... I mean, what do you look for when you're trying to bring somebody on um, that you've got ads out of people that you would like to, to join your business? How do, you, how do you choose good employees? Um, well, uh, we are often looking for someone that's got like a real passion and so has done some um, gardening work or farming work. Uh, either one seems to translate well and, and somebody that's at least can recognize some basic plants that a platform on which we can build. Um, we, at my company, we don't do background checks because we're, we don't believe in people's past dictating their future, just as Greg said, and um, have certainly hired some previously incarcerated people, um, people with all sorts of different pasts that have come through. Um, and, and artists, often I'm trying to hire artists because I think people that really care about their work um, can have a really positive effect on the aesthetics of, of a, a landscape. So I, I enjoy very much having people with farming backgrounds, people with agriculture backgrounds, people with landscape backgrounds that, that have like a real drive and passion for, for land and, and have, have really seen both for myself and for my employees, somebody going from like a really hard place in their lives to, to moving into a, a much more set up and stable and um, emotionally mature place through working with you... the land and seeing that seasonal change throughout yeah. the year and being really connected to the bugs and the leaves and sort of that calming environment of, of the outdoors. And what do you think was the What's the ingredient that you think has allowed you to build a successful business? Because <laughs> you were, you obviously have some real thought about the way you do your business and the way your business um, supports the people who are there working. Um, 
that's not always considered uh, the best way to, to build a business, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the conventional sense of how do you build a, a, a venture that really works? Yeah, I, I really like the triple bottom line idea of people, planet, and profit being being sort of equal members in the considerations of making any decision. Um, I think our capitalist model where it's profit only and don't consider people or planet really has gotten us into some troublesome times that we're now in. And there's been a lot of really amazing pushback from employees um, in the last two years uh, to like really try to rebalance the scales and, and, you know, some of which I was ready for and some of which I wasn't. And I, I like really appreciate that people are willing. I've, I've set up an environment where people can say what's not working. We have four meetings a year where we talk about the big picture and we really look at like what's not working, what is working, what do we want to change? And um, most of the good ideas have come from the employees. I, I will totally say that up, down, left, right, and center that, that people come with really brilliant ideas and having people from all different backgrounds really helps because you get completely different input and um, from the littlest things to the to the entire way we run things has has a lot of employee input so I think to answer your question how have I run a successful business for 15 years I think the main ingredient is being curious and flexible that's kind of constantly looking at like what's working what's not working and just being willing to keep changing and keep changing and finding a new way forward. Um, it also seems like to me that that a garden venture, um, and, and Greg and, and Ashley, you all may want to weigh in on this, but a gardening venture really does revolve in some ways around the people and the people who are involved. I mean, the land is there. It may be dirty. It may be bad soil. It may be whatever. But you really have to be able to um, take care of the labor, the people who do this work. I mean, is it, Greg, I mean, you work with all these young men and, and actually you're working with a, a whole um, host of women. How did I mean, what is their relationship to the land? Is it spiritual? Is it just the ability to see something change in front of you? I, I don't know, for, in, weigh in. I think for, for my group, they're fascinated to see how it starts off and then how it ends up. We walk on a lot where a house used to be and it is trash, tires, sofas, mattresses, dressers. And we begin to move all of this debris and we begin to call a special truck and we throw all this stuff in the truck. And then the lot is then stabilized and it's cut back and a fence is put up. And then the grass begins to grow and they're now maintaining it and cutting it. Seeing it from its inception to that development gives them buy-in. They're, they're actually talking to me months into the project. You know, I was dreaming about Lindbergh Boulevard yesterday, Mr. Greg. We got to go back out there because, you know, Lindbergh grows very, very fast. I mean, these guys have really gotten into it and they've gotten vested. So yeah. I, think, I think that, of course, it's spiritual, but also it begins to get them to see that the community can look better. The community can you know, bring forth vegetables and green spaces and uh, peaceful places where people can meet and sit and talk. And before it was just people talking about it, but when they actually see it and they see that it's, you know, it's, it's a season where everything could just turn around for hundreds of lots, it really increases their feeling about, man, it is really possible to turn our community around by, by planting this grass and planting these trees and creating these green spaces. So they, they're fascinated with the, the growth, the plants, the annuals, the perennials. I mean, they're learning stuff that they've never learned before, but they're invested in it because they've cleaned it with their own hands 
And that that's what really makes it important. And and Ashley, when you started building the the land based John, um, what I mean from looking at your website, it looked like what Greg just described, right? Absolutely. Um, uh, I love the question because it just it, it it forces me to stop and think about all of the different ways that agriculture has like impacted us, um, impacted the women and non-binary folks and trans folks who've gone through the program that I created, um, but people across the city as well. So it's, it's definitely deeply spiritual, but I'm going to like flip or, or hop a little bit into the research because one of the things that I did in my research over the past um, six months was uh, focus groups with black and white farmers in Philly, um, farmers, urban growers, and the num- there were four major themes that emerged out of this um, out of these conversations, and the number one major theme that came up was care and relationship building. So, like urban agriculture is rooted in care and c- caring for each other, caring for the land, caring, um, you know, for our families, for our friends, and it's so much of it is about relationship building. So it's really it has to do with that social the social aspects and the 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 rootedness, the connectedness, the community building. The number two theme was spirituality. So, you know, you talk about, is it spiritual? Yes, for many people, agriculture is a way for them to connect to their ancestors. It's a way for them to connect to the earth, to the oceans, to the to, to so many different things. Um, agriculture is facilitating these relationships being built in the deepening of spirituality. And the number three theme, um, was mental health. So we talk about the impacts. Mental health is huge. So people talked about um, depression. They talked about grief, how the land has helped them to heal their grief because they have something to channel it through. And not only are you pouring your grief into the land, but the land is giving back to you as well as you work, as you work with her. And the fourth theme that I want to say that um, it was agency and power. So agriculture is also about agency and power. It's not just about like um, growing food. That's important, but it's about giving people the, the, the tools and the skills and the knowledge to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and develop self-determined right. communities. And that's really the work that Land-Based Jones is doing with, with the cohort that we had. It's like, how, do, how can we be self-sufficient and self-reliant so that when stuff hits the fan and you know these governmental systems continue to fail us, we can take care of ourselves and take care of each other. So for me and to me, agriculture is all of these things. Um, it's, it's spiritual, it's community, it's um, power and agency. And, you know, I haven't found any other uh, field or discipline or industry that touches on all of those things like ag does. I think maybe that explains a little bit about why and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, why I think there is this explosion of people who are growing, who are entrepreneurs. Um, one of the, one of the um, there are a couple of them, the, uh, the Greens Grow um, company, which started, um, I don't know, 10, over 10 years ago, now has two retail garden outlets. They also are advertising for jobs. They started as a nonprofit. Um, one of their retail outlets is here in Southwest Philly or close to Southwest Philly on Baltimore Ave. Um, certainly, you know, the, the work that, Greg, you're doing with, with people, um, and it's like you're growing people because you have uh, the ability to connect them to the land, but you're also growing people's lives, and it, it's a very... It's a very astounding kind of phenomena. And what, what really bothers me a lot is that there is, there is a backstory to this, which Blaine, you shared with us because this did start many years ago. Um, it's now something that I think people really believe in. And yet uh, I don't think, I don't think the city, I don't think, um, you know, certainly not the the government policies have effectively 
uh, realized what an important part of the economy this is. I know that it was in 2008 under Mayor Nutter that there was um, the Office of Sustainability was created. And then there was a, a Philadelphia food charter with a vision for a, a food system that would benefit all of Philadelphia's economy and environment. And I think, um, Ashley, you're working on this food system charter, right? Or yeah, so right now we're working on uh, developing. So uh, cities across the country, um, some of the ones with, that are more progressive with urban ag movements have developed what, the, what is called an urban agriculture plan. And basically it's a, a document that gives advice to the city, um, other stakeholders on how to support and grow urban agriculture in those cities. So we are um, Soil Generation in partnership with Interface Studio. Um, was selected by the City of Philadelphia Parks and Rec Office. And under the, um, the guidance of Ash Richards, we're designing, we're in the final stages actually of designing this document that really provides a roadmap for how the city can grow urban agriculture and grow in its support of urban agriculture. Because I don't know who knows, but you know, land access and land security in Philly are a big issue because of the city agencies and, and because of some of the policies that exist that are um, that are roadblocks for growers accessing land. And we're trying to design something that serves as a, not as a roadblock block, but as a, I don't know the word, but as something that like helps uh, make it possible for people to get access to land for growing. Because Let me just also add that it's always been like that. Uh, it, it, that goes back 40 years how how the city does gets in the way of transferring land to private groups or to community groups it's it's uh actually you got a you got a long road to hoe there i hope you're successful i really do <laughs> i mean i mentioned earlier that one of the things that has recently come to light is that um this whole issue with sheriff sales and um, vacant land that the city owns that is tax delinquent got sold in a big parcel at one point to a bank based in New York and nobody seems to be able to untie all of these vacant lots which would certainly open up um, the whole notion of building um, a real urban agriculture kind of system and agricultural policy but um, I think as soon as tomorrow, um, the sheriff sale is going to start with, I don't know, 30 or 40 parcels uh, up for sale tomorrow. And it's like, can we put a pin in this? Can we realize that the people who Greg works with um, need the jobs created by Kylin's company and needs to be able to connect to um, the kind of things that happen when you have a community garden in your neighborhood, because not only do people, um, you know, get, have the, the, the growth, the personal growth, the mental health growth, but um, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier um, than just handling, handing people, um, you know, box lunches at the school system if they can in fact have the power to grow their own food. Um, obviously there's money to be made there. Um, we see a bunch of gardens that are that are entrepreneurs and I know, um, Blaine, I don't know if you know much about this, but I have, or the research involved in how many thousands of pounds of food mm. is now being grown in community gardens all over Philadelphia. Yeah, actually, you may know the figure. I, I, I it's like sixty thousand pounds came out of the uh, what's called harvest at PHS. There may be bigger numbers for other community gardens. That's so, a lot of food. That's a lot that's, of food. That's a lot of food that feed a lot, food will feed a lot of people. Um, Kylin, have you ever gotten, I mean, when you were going through the recent pandemic with your business, um, did you need to access like some of the payday loans or any of the support that was offered to small businesses? Were you successful there at all? 
Yeah, um, we did actually secure um, an SBA loan in the first round and uh, it did, it made a huge difference because in the beginning when it wasn't clear if we could be outside and then who was exempt and who wasn't and um, needing to buy extra safety supplies for the employees and and clients not being sure if they were comfortable with us being in the gardens and things, we definitely lost a lot of revenue. So the, the SBA loan majorly helped us. Um, and I, for me, I just wanted to use it to pay like hazard pay to the employees and make sure people's paychecks were coming in on time. Um, I fortunately didn't need it for other um, mortgages or anything like that. So it was able to go pretty much entirely to the employees and then was forgiven, which was kind of miraculous. That's, that's a true payday loan <laughs> that, that didn't, that, that actually went to support people's uh, um, pocketbooks. And yeah, we were able to balance, yeah. we were able to balance out like what they normally would have gotten. So with hazard pay and everything, we were able to get them up to where they should have been and the missed work and everything. So, Greg, or, you know, I'll ask any of you to weigh in on this. What do you think it costs to uh, capitalize and start uh, a small landscaping or gardening business? Um, I know that, for example, at the Sankofa farm out at Bartram's Garden, uh, one of the things that they offer to do is to help you build uh, a raised bed, a raised garden, and they charge, I can't remember, it's like $125 or $150 to come it's in. It's $25. Oh, it's 20 I think it's 25 only if you live in Southwest Philly. Yeah, and then Haja also has a separate business, Glover Gardens, that um, does installs. But Sankofa only installs for South and, Southwest and West Philly. Um, I, I know because I uh, just formerly worked there. That's um, right. Okay. Yeah. So the $25 for a three by five raised bed or $40 for a four by eight raised bed exclusively for West and Southwest. Um, but then if you want, if you're outside of those neighborhoods, Haja, who was actually a, a young person who went through the program at Sankofa, now works there full time and also started her own business, Glover Gardens, that does uh, garden bed installations. And she was one of the young people that worked uh, at the Sankofa farm, right? Exactly. Yep. She actually was a young person at Sankofa when I first started working at the Urban Nutrition Initiative back in like 2014, 2015. And she's now started her own business. That's pretty yeah. amazing. So, right? So Greg, have any of your, um, your folks that are on your, have they had any of them expressed the notion of starting their own business or doing this kind of work? Yeah, some of the guys who um, are working with me on the uh, landscaping, we're doing about 300 lots in Southwest Philadelphia, and we're cutting them twice a week. Mm -hmm. And um, while we're in blocks, it's interesting about landscaping. People who are in bed, they start hearing the buzz of the machines, and they come outside and they go, excuse me, excuse me, can you come cut my lawn? Can you come cut my lawn? <laughs> and um, we have numbers that we got to reach as well. And we try our best to reach those numbers. But what the guys have done is they have begun to ask me if they can circle back. They're learning a business model. Mm -hmm. They're saying, Mr. Greg, Great. can we use the equipment? And can we circle back once we're done? And can we cut the lawns? And then they say, and I want you to come over and tell me how much should we get for this? And I said, well, this lawn is $40, this lawn is $50. This. And what they begin to learn is how to use the equipment and, how to, and how, what kind of equipment they need just to do urban lawns in the community. Two of the guys on the weekends, they, they, they'll come get my weed whackers, my lawn mowers, and they'll come and they'll make up to three to $400 a weekend above and beyond their paychecks. And then two of those guys, now I've introduced them to the company where I buy my um, commercial grade equipment. 
They use my tax ID number and they begin to say, Mr. Greg, can you put $250 aside on my pay so I can buy my own weed whacker, so I can buy my own. And now they have four weed whackers, two lawnmowers, and they're starting and they, they, they continue to work with me. But on Saturdays and Sundays, now they're using their own equipment and they're making money and they're building their business model as I mentor them through that process. Great. So every single step, where to get the equipment, what a, a nonprofit means, what tax exempt means, they're learning everything. It's, it's amazing how these so guys are flourishing. What do, what do a few weed whackers and two commercial lawnmowers cost? What kind of, what kind of capital investment is needed here? If you so start a successful venture. Right. So, you know, I, I let them understand that, you know, buying a weed whacker from Lowe's or um, from Home Depot is really just for, you know, um, residential use. But commercial use, we have to go to the commercial great places, the Echoes, the Tour, the Honda Motors and all of that. A weed whacker, really good weed whacker that you can start up every single day and run it for six or seven hours is an Echo, really good model, an Echo brand. And you can get a good one for $369, $75. Or you can get a step-down model of Echo that runs just as good, but it's a certain height of grass that it cut. You can get for $210. And then a really good self-propelled, self-propelled lawnmower, meaning that you don't push it. There's two bars. You squeeze the first bar to engage it. The bottom bar you squeeze and it pulls you. That's about $400. So $700 can get you started on cutting basic grass, and then you can save money and build capital, build equipment. I mean, they're, 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 they're learning all this. $700, these guys are already out there getting their own money. So you could, you could go into the grass cutting lawn, you kind of vacant lot business, cleaning lots for 700 to 1,000 bucks. But so Kylin, if they were gonna get involved in the actual building of a garden, um, you have to have some knowledge. You have to have some conceptual thought about what goes into that space, right? Yeah, and I, I think that one of the hardest things because horticulture is like forever wide and forever deep is the, the plant identification because the same plant in early spring looks, you know, I have a plant in my garden that's a native plant called uh, Onothera fructicosa. And it, it starts out really small and purple because the cold turns the leaves purple. And then as it gets bigger, it gets to be, you know, one, two feet tall, green. Then it gets yellow flowers and it dies back down to the ground in fall. So in every single season, it looks completely different, like a completely different plant. And so you don't, you don't have to teach people just one plant once you have to teach them three or four plants winter ID, how to, how to identify things in all sorts of different seasons, because sometimes things are seeding in that you want, and sometimes things are seeding in that you don't want, and, and not ripping out the good thing is equally as important as being able to plant the thing that you want. So for me, the, the knowledge, like what we spend a ton of time training on is like, and drilling each other and playing games in the garden where we're like quizzing each other or trying to go through the alphabet with like, name a, plant from every letter of the alphabet or like name a botanical name from every letter of the alphabet because we're constantly there's so many plants I've been in this for 20 years every week I see plants I have never seen before you know there's just there's no way to learn all the plants yet you Greg you know and Ashley you know like every you know anytime I open a book on plants I'm like well I've never heard of that I have no idea and then I start seeing it everywhere um so I I, I can say that I started with uh my business, I would put $3,000 in each year. And then I didn't make money for about like five years because <laughs> we didn't really know what we were doing, but <laughs> it sounds like Greg, your, your guys have a lot better, <laughs> quicker model than, than what I was doing. But um, now, you know, now we're- Well, it sounds like to me that what we need to do next is to um, tie uh, the knowledge of the four of you all uh, together and, um, I think we could probably support and start two or three businesses at this point. <laughs> but um, our, our time is up. I think we will have an opportunity maybe to continue this discussion um, 
And I just want to say thank you because I believe that um, that we're on to something. We're on to something that this is um, this is a growth. This is an economic growth area in the city of Philadelphia. Um, but I, I'm glad, Ashley, that you are there trying to work on the policy side. Um, see if you can get them to support this uh, zoning change that was made that actually created a zoning class for agriculture, for orchards and gardens, but, you know, it's wanna, a land, land use policy. Um, I do, I'm sorry, I do, I'm sorry, I do want to add something really, really quick. The Pennsylvania Horticultural Society has put together a training program, a six-week training program. And this program teaches young people across the city what it means to be a landscaper. They have four weeks of instruction, going out in the field, cutting, um, learning the tools, learning how to clean them. And then the last two weeks, these young people are paired up with contractors all over the city. The Pennsylvania Horticultural Society pays them $360 a week for training. Wow. This train, this training is called Roots to Reentry, and I invite all of you. I invite all of you to come down to FDR Park on March the seventh. That's the first day of training. The fact that the Horticulture Society, with Keith Green and um, all of the good folk down there, has put together this project to teach. They have two co cohorts of fifty people to teach them real landscaping, pay them to, for their training, and then put them in an apprenticeship. It is absolutely amazing. And you guys should try to make that. FDR Park, March the 7th. I hope I don't get in trouble for putting this out there. Um, you, gotta see, you gotta see this in action. It is something to okay. see. Thank you, Greg. That's a great way to end this. Um, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you to Blaine to Kylin, to Greg, and to Ashley. Um, you're, you're, you four are a pretty amazing uh, panel of expertise. And I think getting this together, uh, all together in one hour has been pretty amazing. Hopefully we'll do it again. Um, this has been walking down the path of a real garden adventure in Philadelphia. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you so much.